Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning across America and beyond, wherever you may be on this Wednesday here in the second week of Lent listening to us on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. If for whatever reason you haven't had a chance to sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, these free daily videos, it is still not too late, even though we're in the second week of Lent. You can uh, still do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before, as Father Rocky has said so many times. You can transform your 40 days with 40 lessons and with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic Encounter videos at relevantradio.com slash Lent. On Wednesdays, I always take a brief moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor. So go to Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah once again. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories uh, making headlines here this hour on this Wednesday? Michigan's primary election, the big story on the Republican side, as expected. Donald Trump, a big winner over Nikki Haley last night. 92% of the votes are in. All the counties reporting so far have Trump as a winner. 68.1 to 26.5 points at this point, John. So uh, kind of that expected, it, very it, wide margin. It was expected, but maybe not that big of a margin. And also, uh, it's uh, interesting to see that Trump won all 83 counties there in the state of Michigan. It, uh, you could call it a landslide. Now, uh, to this point, we've had a lot of real uh, big Trump enthusiasts just spitting mad that Haley's even in the race, and it got me thinking, it still seems kind of early for things to be all over. So I looked up the last 50-plus years of, of uh, elections to see when a race that was competitive, you know, with serious contenders in it, was declared essentially over. And in that last 50 years, going back to 1976, none has been decided as early as in February yet. We go back to 2008, John McCain had things wrapped up by about March 4th. But even in the case of incumbents, uh, George H.W. Bush took till May of 1992. Uh, Jimmy Carter on the Democratic side took till June in 1980. Gerald Ford, it took till August back in 1976. And so uh, it, it's not unusual for a challenger to still be in the race at this point, but a tough road to hoe uh, there for Nikki Haley, who's said that she'll stay in through Super Tuesday, which is coming up next Tuesday already, so we might know more after that, John. Glenn, you are quite a historian, uh, very impressive. Uh, But the question is, uh, did any of those uh, candidates uh, win all of their primaries as Trump has? He hasn't lost yet to Nikki Haley. Yeah, so, I mean, you've had some situations where an incumbent, you know, cruises without serious challengers. But, uh, yeah, there, there hasn't been a contested primary that has really been effectively, not even the officially getting more than half the delegates, but kind of, in reality, declared done uh, before before March. And so uh, the timing, if it, you know, if it kind of ends uh, next uh, Tuesday, March 5th, 
would be on the, on the, still on the early side, John. Sure. Meanwhile, um, on the uh, Democratic side of the uh, the primary battle there in uh, in Michigan, uh, uh, President Biden, uh, uh, well, some of the voters in, in Michigan uh, made a statement last night. Yeah, he, he ended up with 81% of the votes, but uh, over 100,000 votes, about 13.2% uncommitted, which had been kind of the, the Arab-American push to register uh, unhappiness with the way uh, Biden is helping or, or not uh, the situation in the Middle East with the war between Hamas and Israel. Here's what some of those voters sounded like. This is a warning sign. It's a threat to Biden and his administration as a result of his decisions to put funding Israel's war in Gaza over our own democracy. And this voting block within Michigan, let me stamp that we are uncommitted to you, President Biden, and your re-election efforts. Uncommitted did pretty well. Well, enough to you know cause some alarm. Michigan, a very closely uh, contested state in the general election, always and anticipated to be so this year as well. So uh, each candidate really needing to to tie up uh, all all the votes they would normally get from their party, and so not a not a lot of room for error in one of the swing states like Michigan. So uh, something for the Biden folks to to kind of keep an eye on, uh, as well as the Republican folks needing to tie up all the Republican votes as well. Absolutely. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the weather has been in the news uh, this morning, uh, both uh, in the Lone Star State and in the Midwest. Well, in the Lone Star State, uh, you know, the the wild weather whipping up those winds, uh, a good recipe for for fires. And uh, there's a big fire, a fast-moving wildfire in the Texas Panhandle. The, The Pantex plant, the nation's biggest nuclear weapons facility, about 17 miles northeast of Amarillo, is not too far now from the Smokehouse Creek fire which grew in six hours yesterday, in six hours' time, from 40,000 acres to 200,000 acres. Wow. Um, and it's been burning out of control yet. Officials uh, posted on X, the personnel at the plant, yesterday were building a fire barrier to protect the facilities, and they say all the nuclear weapons on the site were safe and unaffected. And, you know, they'll be whisked out of harm's way or uh, taken care of where they sit. But, uh, yeah, a little disconcerting. And you had some adventures with weather last night, too, John. Yes, indeed. Right here in the Chicago area and many other parts of the Midwest, uh, including uh, southwest Michigan, there were tornado warnings. I heard them uh, firsthand. You could hear the sirens. Uh, we actually, uh, you know, listened to the warnings. We went down into the basement until uh, oh, about 8.30 last night. Uh, so, it, you know, when you get tornado warnings, you got to take it seriously because you never know what's going to happen. Yep, that's right. And uh, normally we think about that uh, in the springtime, actually. Severe Weather Awareness Month, uh, usually in April at some point. But with the uh, summer, then winter, then summer weather we've been having, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little little taste of everything. So don't forget those uh, weather safety skills you all have. Yeah, in fact, um, there was a 60-mile-an-hour winds and uh, a quarter-sized hail. And I can tell you uh, from personal experience, uh, my dog, Blaze, I, he needed to go out. Uh, he went out for about a tenth of a second, lifted up his leg, and came right back in. He did not want any part of the weather. <laughs> Smarter than you might think there, huh? Absolutely. All right, uh, on, a, on a fun and happier note uh, today, February 28th is National Tooth Fairy Day. Oh, just about the time where the Tooth Fairy has finished the route and is ready for bed because that is a long night with over 300,000 teeth the Tooth Fairy could be picking up on any given night of the week because of the number of children. 20 teeth they will be losing in their, their 
in their lifetime as a young child. That is a lot of teeth. That's a, that's a busy night for the tooth fairy. And, you know, kids wonder about that. Kids wonder, especially when they, they roll over in the morning and they don't see anything there. And then mom or dad come in to help. And then you're you're frantically searching maybe, well, you look on that side of the pillow and, and I'll look on this other side of the pillow. And, oh, well, there it is. You must have missed it. You know, and sometimes we have to help the kids find what the tooth fairy leaves. Because, it, you know, it can be a very quick process, very, very quick process, and, and even a kind of a scary experience for parents sometimes. Well, you know, this is what I'm thinking. You know, the Tooth Fairy's got a lot of teeth, a lot to do, and, you know, kids are restless sleepers. I don't know if you've ever slept with a child before, but mm. sometimes a foot can hit you in the back. So that <laughs> tooth could, you know, the tooth could have slid out of place, and where the Tooth Fairy put some things could be slid out of place. So, yeah, you do have to be very careful. You know, there's a big market in the Tooth Fairy. There's Tooth Fairy pillows. There's Tooth Fairy like, little boxes so that this does not happen so if you are one of those people that sometimes can lose the the tooth or lose uh, the the treat that the tooth fairy is leaving for you you might want to uh, find one of these uh, items so that you can help kind of corral that but uh, you know there's the the conundrum what happens when you lose the tooth and it's not like in the safety of your own home maybe it's at school i know some schools have little uh, tooth necklaces that you can get to put the tooth so it can safely be carried home without any uh, loss or damage well, what has been your experience? Uh, at what age uh, do kids uh, lose their first tooth? Uh, well, you know, I would say probably, you know, five or six, depending on the kid, because everybody's teeth are a little bit different. And uh, if you have a rambunctious uh, family, maybe they lose one unintentionally a little bit earlier than was expected. But uh, it doesn't matter. The tooth fairy will collect them no matter what the age. And, you know, really, I, I found that, you know, if you want to make sure your your tooth is taken and and Put in a place of honor, the Tooth Fairy's Hall of Perfect Teeth. Just make sure that you're brushing and flossing regularly, kids. <laughs> Good advice. I always think it too. You know, like the the Marvel Marvel Universe has this, these groups of superheroes. And uh, did you know that the Tooth Fairy hangs out with the Easter Bunny and Santa in kids' minds? Uh, you know, in the in the same spot. And so I recall one long car conversation alone with my eight year old and. Couldn't deflect that conversation anymore, and it started out with a conversation about Santa and quickly switched to the, the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. And so uh, kind of, you know, nature's own Marvel Universe there, I think, just to beware when those conversations come up. Well, and I think uh, in the Santa Claus, was it two or three movie? I mean, the Jack Frost was there. They had like little group meetings. They all got together and they talked about the, the issues of the day. And so it, it very possible it might just not be in their imagination that this is happening. So uh, it, at least in that movie, I saw a little bit of proof. So they might have regular mm. group meetings. The Parents beware. <laughs> the possibilities are endless uh, on ways to celebrate National Tooth Fairy Day. You might want to just make an appointment for a next cleaning for uh, your little ones or even for us grown-ups. There you go. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it. I think, uh, I'm not sure if the Tooth Fairy uh, checks out any adult teeth that get pulled out. I think uh, that that might not be the case. But, you know, hey, it doesn't matter. You still need to make sure you have nice, clean teeth. You need them for a long time. We have a long life. Pearly whites. All right, as always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn.
Sure thing, John. First things first, we start uh, every hour here on the show in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. And we always pray through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, the Mother of God, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning, every hour here on the show as we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from John 14, 27. Jesus the Lord says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Be not afraid, as Pope St. John Paul II said so many times during his pontificate. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He alone gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And as long as people and nations refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, Christ the King, there will be no lasting peace uh, among nations. Uh, Catholics must look for the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. So go to Mary, the Queen of Peace, who always leads us to her son, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And we always pray with Great confidence, that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon during the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. As always, you can send us an email. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on social media, on X. Our handle is at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, will be with us to talk about Trump, Biden, and the Catholic Church and some of the things that are being said about IVF. So stay with us. There is much more to come on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview. This is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. Jump into the conversation. Call 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888-914-9149. Now, after the Alabama Supreme Court recently ruled that frozen embryos from IVF are legally children, there's been a lot 
lot of talk and a lot of confusion from politicians, including President Biden and former President Trump, about IVF. The Alabama High Court basically said that unborn babies are human beings regardless of their location. Now, joining us live is our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, to clarify and to guide us on this uh, issue uh, of IVF, in vitro fertilization, and what uh, the Catholic Church actually teaches about it. Father Tyone is the new director of vocations for the Archdiocese of the Military Services. He has served for over a decade in vocation ministry for Our Lady of Providence Seminary while a chaplain of Bishop Hendrickin High School, and he's a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. Good morning, Father Tyone. Thanks uh, so much for being with us. Uh, it's a blessing to be with you once again. Good morning and blessed Lent to everyone as we continue on our journey today. And our topic today is, is relevant, as, as the name of our radio station is, but also relevant to understand life. And so I'm, I'm pleased that it's actually a, up for discussion today. It's great. Well, Father Tyone, first of all, um, did the Alabama Supreme Court uh, get it right? Human embryos deserve protection because they're children. Well, I think we even want to go back up a little bit further first, and I think the first thing to say is the cross, the difficulty of infertility that many couples carry, right? So the first thing is the church and every human being should have a great compassion um, and a passion for assisting and being with couples that are infertile. Again, most, please God, are married and want the end of marriage is children. So that is a good desire that couples have and want to acknowledge that. That's the church's teaching. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge the human dignity of all life and the natural desire um, for that. The church also teaches us that uh, the marital act uh, really is is both unitive and procreative. So hopefully all our listeners know those two words. That's kind of a, a hinge in Catholic teaching uh, about the, it's rooted in the gift of sexuality, but also the gift of the of that moment. And so we want to make sure that our goal in the human family is that the, that action, that gift is both unitive and procreative. So IVF, in, or, or it's short for in vitro fertilization, uh, which is really in the last uh, couple decades, uh, technology has advanced and companies have prospered and they've been trying to alleviate this cross of couples being infertile, right? Again, we know even in the scriptures, there's tons of examples of the the lament of couples not being able to conceive. So this is part of the Jewish faith, part of the Christian faith and Christian tradition. The Catholic Church uh, always believes and teaches not only on revelation of Jesus Christ, we as Catholics who, who are friends of Jesus, we believe life begins at conception. Again, we celebrate the Annunciation of Jesus' conception, right? So even primary to Christmas, Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary with our Heavenly Father and Mary, um, and in this particular mysterious, the gift of incarnation. Uh, but the followers of Jesus, we have always uh, been called to understand uh, that, um, again, all human life is sacred. So the Alabama Supreme Court came out very surprisingly and suddenly and said, uh, called, uh, I think even uh, the right thing to say is that once an embryo is uh, once an embryo is existing, it's a human embryo. It's not an animal embryo. It's not a chestnut or, or something else. 
a human embryo is exactly that. It's human. So it deserves uh, the respect based on science and on reason, not just on faith and revelation. Again, we Catholics are bound uh, to be formed in conscience by the Church, but even those outside faith, uh, hopefully using reason and reflection and scientific proof that a human embryo is indeed human. And a lot of people don't realize, and I've walked with a lot of couples pastorally that are infertile, and there are some methods uh, that are blessed, so to speak, where we can help keep that base, the base of having that action be uh, really natural, if you will, um, and those kind of things, helping solving infertility. But a lot of people don't realize that in vitro fertilization, um, after an embryo exists, uh, many times there are multiple embryos uh, and conceptions take place uh, inside, outside of the marital act. So the first problem is that in vitro fertilization, uh, normally ha- it happens outside the marital act. So that that's the first a very difficult thing that the church could never approve, trying to keep, again, you know, people want everything all natural today. We want natural food, natural everything. And the church wants also uh, the marital act and the act of conception to be natural, uh, the way that it is in, in uh, just in nature and uh, in, in human experience. So that that's the first thing. But the, I think a lot, a lot of good Catholics, a lot of good people who carry the cross of infertility with couples, as I do, and I hope every listener does and has compassion for them, that's that's the beginning of this teaching, uh, that in in vitro fertilization, many embryos are implanted, and oftentimes it's called selective reduction. Selective reduction is if they see an embryo that, that so it's pla- it's it's conceived outside the natural act, they're placed uh, either in the tube, sometimes uh, obviously in women, and what happens is they will... Um, destroy uh, embryos that either appear weak or different uh, and so we have all and then sometimes uh, embryos are stored uh, really uh, frozen we, and so they're put in, in some kind of moral theology circles these are sometimes called snowflakes it's a crazy thing we snowflakes are those embryos that are preserved and not destroyed and frozen for later use you can if we start thinking about this so what's going on what is what is really this all about and that's what the church wants us to ask ourselves what you know is the desire to have a child is good but is we got to make sure that there's not uh if you will a, a corruption uh, even pope francis recently spoke very strongly a few weeks ago against in vitro fertilization i think it caught the media and others by shock and storm but he was just reiterating the human dignity of human life from conception to natural death so embryos are typically destroyed uh in the process of of the implantation and that's that's a real problem and so the alabama supreme court came out and you know one of the things that i think that i didn't read the decision closely but it seems like he used more theological language whereas i think uh human life language and human rights language and human dignity language and science you know a human embryo deserves protection because it's human that's that's the point so i think i didn't read it but it might again the media kind of slants some things, but I think uh, the Supreme Court decision raises thought uh, among people that what what is a human embryo? Is it human? Does it deserve rights and protection? And that's that's a great question. I think this the Supreme Court there has opened up a great conversation around the country around this, and I'm hoping all Catholics and even people that can we can reflect: when does human life begin? What is a human embryo, and what dignity and respect does that embryo deserve from society at large, from government at large, and certainly from Christians in respect and love? Um, you know, recently I was I was talking to a formerly uh, an infertile couple that I know, 
and they, you know, they went to kind of a fertility clinic to a class and they didn't, they were devout Catholics. They went and during the presentation, they looked at each other. They said, because we, this is, came up from this discussion around this case and they looked at each other and they realized in the class that there would be embryos destroyed. And so they said, we got up and left and we adopted um, and they have a wonderful uh, girl who's changed their life, uh, born in a foreign country. And uh, I think I think that's that's sort of the Catholic response to that. Um, so beautiful story. Uh, you know, again, the Lord, these are tough things. We need to admit that. We need to be compassionate. We need to be patient. But we also need to kind of reflect and study, uh, really, what is at stake here? So is a human embryo human? The answer is yes. And then are human embryos destroyed? Are there kind of, you know, really are, are human lives destroyed in the process of IVF and, and really almost always yes. And that's, that's a real issue for the church and for society. It's a, you know, what's the role of government? The government is to, the right to life is a paramount life in our constitution and in the world. So a lot of people are, it, it's a very, very sensitive issue because wanting a child is a good. So we need to honor that and respect that and then find ways, certainly as Catholics and as Christians, and as people of of goodwill to uh, to support couples in that journey, but in ways that are not uh, immoral to those that are friends of Jesus and following the conscience. Our conscience is formed by the church, and so that's that's it. Again, I've walked with a lot, a lot of people I know have participated in IVF, not realizing the word like selective reduction is the destruction of embryos. So a lot of faithful people don't know a lot about that and so I, I you know i'm always sensitive to that too when you try to educate couples and others even those who are responding to this so the alabama supreme court's a good thing because it, it started these kind of conversations we're having on the program this morning and i encourage all our listeners maybe part of lenin to educate ourselves on the church's teaching on the sacredness of human life human dignity being compassionate within fertile couples that that's a necessary part of being pro-life right that that's important just like being merciful and helpful to post-abortive uh, women and men uh, that is also part of our pro-life position and that's the church's teaching and so we need to walk with compassion understanding but also reflect you know is the destruction of human embryos a problem and of course it's a problem for, for uh, the church has said that all along and again i i point to Pope Francis's uh, words recently about that, that again, in, in a positive way, raised alarms around where people were. I think people are unaware of this part of the pro-life teaching of the church. And when they find out it's very, it's a, it's a, they need to think it through and not react, but reflect, study and pray, and then walk with those to find ways that are moral and acceptable. And hopefully state laws and laws respect the dignity of human life. So um, I understand this is a, a difficult thing, but I think it's a great discussion. I'm glad we're talking about it today. And I would encourage everyone who's listening to pray for infertile couples, pray for adoptions, uh, pray for human dignity, and pray there are embryos frozen uh, in many places today. I always, uh, my heart always goes out to that situation, especially if the, uh, you know, the embryo, the the um, the egg in this room were put together, and sometimes not even uh, maybe one of the parents inside the marriage, which is a whole other complexity for the child growing up. So I want to make sure. I think the church tells us, you know, children are not products. But they're they're beautiful, all made in the image and likeness of God. Of course, if someone is conceived in IVF, the church treats them with love and respect. And um, I've met people like that. So we need to make sure we understand and apply this beautiful teaching that is positive and and pro-life, pro-child, pro-woman, but but with that great compassion uh, for those that are infertile. We need to pray for those couples and help them uh, to understand uh, the beauty and dignity of, of their desire that is good and find ways that are moral and good uh, to do that and hopefully have 
have our country's laws respect human life. So, so let's uh, let's work on that. Let's pray about that. I invite all our listeners to just offer a prayer uh, for for adopting couples and also for for infertile couples. It's part of our Lenten journey today because of what's going on and. I'm grateful, grateful to share that with everyone today. Well, uh, Father Tyone, I know that you're very uh, uh, sensitive and very passionate about about this issue. And, uh, you know, it, it, can you imagine if Catholics don't understand the issue in a clear manner, how regular folks in, in the rest of our country, especially politicians, don't understand it as well. And our Catholic president, uh, Joe Biden, being one of them, and our former president, uh, President Trump, being another one. And some of the things that they have said with good intentions, uh, they're not uh, squaring up with Catholic uh, teaching. Just your your final thoughts on the, the importance that we understand what the church teaches versus what we hear in the media, what we hear from our politicians. You're right. So mo- most people do not know. I think politicians. I don't know. Most people don't study this issue. It's a it's a technical, but a a, a, a very humanly principled issue, and. The bottom line is that human embryos are often destroyed in the process of IVF, and that that's just a fact. And so, again, a lot of people don't know that that have done it. Um, so we need to understand that too, but we need to educate them and educate ourselves, and and come in peacefully to the discussion so we can bring the word of God, but also bring human reason, science, and biology to the conversation. Ask people to reflect: What is a human embryo? Is it human or not? And start there, and just. Just be uh, gently asking people to use reason, reflection, and study so that they can come to that place uh, that brings true peace in the human family. Can you uh, give us your blessing, especially for those uh, parents out there that might be dealing with that cross of infertility? Yeah, Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless couples, say the desired children that at this moment still cannot conceive. Uh, be with them, Lord Jesus, and uh, give them a special grace uh, this day that they might trust you, be open to your will in all things, and that their desire is holy and part of your love for them. And don't let them be overwhelmed or afraid. Provide them with a good means uh, to provide them with children in a way that you desire, uh, and blessing them with motherhood, fatherhood, and the gift of raising children to know you, to love you, and serve you and build our country and our world. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Father Tyone. Really appreciate uh, your insights uh, and your your perspective, and especially your sensitivity to to this important issue. And I would just ask everyone listening today, say one little Hail Mary, so our soldiers get some vocations to the priesthood out there, and, and God bless everyone. Thanks again. Uh, Father Marcel Tyone, the Director of Vocations of the Archdiocese for the Military Services and a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. We need to take a short pause when Morning Air continues. Our personal success coach, Dave Duran, the CEO of Leading Giants and co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media, will join us to discuss habits, good and bad ways to get things done or not. Stay with us as we are headed down the stretch on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, as you know, we are currently in the second week of Lent, and you probably set up some resolutions or things that you are working on to grow closer to Jesus during this Lenten season. Or maybe perhaps you set up some resolutions at the beginning of the year, hoping that to get rid of some bad habits or working on good habits instead. Joining us live from Fort Myers, Florida, is our longtime Morning Air contributor and personal success coach, Dave Duran, to talk about habits. Habits and share some good and some bad ways to get things done or not. Dave Duran is the CEO of Leading Giants and he's executive chairman of Best Version Media. He's also the host of the Dave Duran Show here on Relevant Radio. You can listen to it on Saturdays at 1 Central and you can always follow Dave on YouTube and LinkedIn. Good morning, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again. Hey, John. Great to be with you as well. Uh, first of all, Dave, how's uh, things going uh, with uh, the Dave Duran show? Oh, it's been great. I have really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's one of these types of things where, uh, you know, I'm getting way more out of it than anyone else. And uh, so I just feel totally grateful to be a part of it. Uh, the, the listeners have been great. The questions have been great. The guests are just fantastic. And uh, very much looking forward to you know the continued process. And and John, just morning air has been just a a, a super important part of my life in uh, in so many ways for so many years. And so I just really enjoy being with you as well. Well, I appreciate it, and we're pulling for you. And we, you know we, we know that you do a bang up job uh, every Saturday uh, on uh, your own show. Who you got coming up this weekend? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm a little embarrassed because I pre-recorded two different shows, and I was just talking to my producer about it, and we haven't decided which one to air. It might be Sam Blair. These are good little commercials for upcoming things anyway. He's a Navy SEAL. Fantastic, fantastic story. Um, and also, on Drew Mariani's show, we have uh, Dr. Sean Amara, who's been uh, a regular contributor there, and he's going to be actually on the show. And one of the reasons he's on is because I personally have been going through something where I was like, you know what? I don't want surgery. I want a nutritious way to get past this sort of thing. And he provides that sort of guidance. But he also does it really from the perspective of what it means to be a good Catholic. So some really good programs coming up. It sounds great. Now, uh, I've heard it said that knowing your destination is half the journey. Why, why is it important to have goals in whatever it is that you want to do? Well, you know, it's that classic Stephen Covey saying that we have to begin with the end in mind. And this is, you know, uh, age-old wisdom. And it existed way before, you know, Stephen Covey did not invent the seven habits of highly uh, effective people, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago whenever he wrote the book. He just, you know, wrote about them, which is important. So why does this matter? Because ultimately speaking, heaven is our end goal. And what I love about the way God has worked this out for us is that when we seek heaven, our life is better here on earth. Now, just to be clear, that's not a health and wealth gospel thing. There are some people like, you know, St. Maximilian Kobe, who suffered tremendously, particularly at the end there. Uh, There are others who have had lives of tremendous holiness that were very troubled, and that was their call to holiness. But for most of us, though, there are going to not be extraordinary means like that, but the ordinary means that when we live a holy life, we're going to have more effective families. We're going to have more effective work life. 
We're going to be healthier. We're going to do certain things that allow for us to actually gain temporal benefits, which are an affirmation that we are on the right path as we seek heaven. And this is just an important thing to remember. The other thing, too, is that if we are living that way and God does prevent to us a certain cross, because we will all have crosses, we can't escape them, we will have the consolation and understanding at a higher level that this is actually something that we can use uh, in order to uh, to mortify ourselves for that perfection we seek as we uh, try to enter heaven. Well, this is one of the things that I love. You always bring that eternal perspective uh, to our discussions. And uh, we, we want to talk about some of the things that get in the way of uh, of, of reaching uh, our, our goals, of getting things done. What would be the first one? Well, failing to begin, waking up. You know, it's an interesting thing when I think about that. I do tie heaven to even short-term goals. And the reason I do is because those words, well done, good and faithful servant, are so important for us to be focused on. And by the way, they are in stark contrast to what happened to the unfaithful servant, right? (laughs) So why does this matter? So let's say, for example, you have uh, 10 days to get out 100 Christmas cards, you know, to use an example that's not contemporary to the actual season that we're in right now. Um, but it's a good example, and you waste three of them. Well, you had about 10 days per, or 10 cards per day to get out. Now you have, you know, way more uh, work to do, but you have to do it. So every day in life that we wait to begin our, our holiness is a day that is wasted. Well, there are so many temporal projects that we have. You know what? I want to work on this business objective that we have. And if we don't work, we have a hundred days to get this to market. And if we don't do anything today, we won't be to market. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you're making up those goals yourself. And if you don't do something today to drive your business and move it forward, it will not move forward. If you don't work on your health today, you are one day behind in health, probably one day point some small percentage because you have a, a usually a, you know an exponential digression uh, in your health. Same thing financially, too. I want to save today. Well, let's get on it today. Let's wake up and save today. Because if you look at the rule of 72 when it comes to finances, if you want your money to double over an eight-year period of time at 10%, then get started on that now and look what happens later on. So beginning matters so much. But John, a lot of people don't begin because they don't see the benefit right away. So they put it off so they can still indulge in the same vice that they're experiencing by not practicing the disciplines of getting started. So we have to be urgent immediately. Wait for nothing but patient in all things. Another uh, bad habit is starting things and then just quitting, not finishing. Yeah, and by the way, you know, listen, there's a there, there's um, people that talk about fortitude, and fortitude, of course, is one of the cardinal virtues that's essential for us to grow. But there's another virtue that's counter to it called excessiveness. And there are some people that say, never, ever quit. Okay, there's an excessiveness to that, too. So we have to use prudence, the prudential aspect and justice. Does it make sense? Is is this a good thing for me? Do I understand the reality of the circumstance? Am I pursuing what's good? Is it fair to the people that I'm dragging along for this goal that I have? If all those things are true and good and right, then, yeah, you keep doing it and you go for it. And just because it's hard, you don't stop. You go and go and go. But if there's an injustice that's being done to somebody because you have like a, 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 you know, a disordered passion toward an objective, okay, 
Um, or you don't understand the reality of the circumstance, which is to say that you're pursuing an entrepreneurial idea that was your brainchild, but it really is a bad idea. <laughs> and nobody likes the product and you keep telling them that they taste your, you know, they taste your cookies the wrong way and you're trying to sell cookies. No, no, no. You have to know reality. And at a certain point, these are the types of things we do quit. But most of the time, we quit things we should not quit. And so we don't want to build a bridge that's, you know, a mile long and stop three feet short because the bridge can't be used then. So we've got to go all the way. Sometimes it actually uh, makes sense and it's the, the prudent thing to do to throw in the towel when you realize th that this doesn't make sense. Like, for example, an athlete, if he gets injured, there's no reason to keep trying to, to be a hero if you can't play and you're, you're hurt. Yeah, especially if you're hurting the team. Now it's your ego that drives you forward. So this is, I, I, can, I can say there are many reasons. Sometimes people have an intellectually bad idea and they mean well, but it's an intellectually bad idea that nobody would like. It just can't go to market. I see this all the time, but they personally are in love with the idea. Um, what happens is it goes from an intellectually bad idea to now a pride-driven thing. I can't be wrong. I must be right. It's going to work. I don't want to be seen as a quitter. Therefore, I'm going to work hard. So I can almost summarize virtually every aspect of excessiveness and not quitting when we should tied back to pride. And uh, so in reality, we just have to make sure that we're entering into good ideas. And, and here's another thing that's really important. Most often, you've got a pretty mediocre idea. But if you take action on it right away, and you have the virtue of, of beginning and starting now, you can pivot, you can change, and you can adapt until you actually have a good idea. So don't wait till you have a perfect idea before you take action. For most things, we have to just have a pretty good idea and then go for it and then have iterative decision-making that takes place when we realize we went left, but we probably should have gone right. Okay, well, at least we saw that by going left. So it's important to kind of look at this kind of blend of action and pivoting and quitting and not quitting and how they all work together. Want to open up the phone lines and the moments we have left? Uh, are you a doer? Do you get things done, or do you have a tough time starting and finishing things? We'd love to hear from you. We're taking your calls for uh, Dave Duran, the CEO of Leading Giants, and uh, uh, of course our personal success coach at Triple Eight Nine One Four Nine One Four Nine Triple Eight Nine One Four Nine One Four Nine. Dave, uh, what about an another way in which uh, people get things? Uh, uh, done, but uh, maybe not uh, in in the best way. Well, you know, there's some people that get things done, but with sloppiness and a lot of missed details. They basically live by the, the, the theme of good enough. Now, I want to say there's an interesting thing about this, and you're kind of hearing me say this about several of these things, because one of the problems is that people, and, and by the way, being extreme is kind of necessary if you want to be a saint, right? If you want to really lead great things, extremeness matters. Even to be a good parent, there's some extreme things like, hey, listen, here are behaviors we really believe we're not going to tolerate as opposed to saying, well, everybody's doing it, right? But but there's a little bit of a, 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 a blend of understanding reasonability here. So there are times where you go, it's good enough. Why? Because there is a bigger, more important principle or objective that needs to be accomplished and cannot be pursued if you stay on something smaller. That's when sometimes you say, it's good enough. The perfectionist stays on small things and tries to master those while the bigger things around them are falling apart. Or what happens is there's a person who says it's good enough when it's not. And they usually do that not to pursue a bigger thing that is more important, but they give up on it and say it's good enough so they can pursue something stupid or lazy. 
And that's why sloppiness pursues in certain people's lives and why they say, what's well, good enough? And their theme of it's good enough and not finishing and being kind of sloppy is the way they live their lives and they go on to really pursue nothing. They just become lazy or self-indulgent. So if you say it's good enough because you have to get to a higher cause and do something more important and you're avoiding perfectionism, you're doing it the right way. But oftentimes we can do most things that we have to a quality degree and then move on. But we want to make sure that we have this kind of reasonability about it. I have tried to pass on to, to my son, you know, whatever it is you do, whether it's in sports or in school, whatever you do, always do your best. Uh, and, and if you do it for Jesus, you can't go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So it's such a super important principle to know. That's why we're ultimately doing things, even though on earth here it appears we're doing them for others. Uh, we're, we're really ultimately doing things to glorify God. On the other hand, there are people who are uh, ultra-perfectionists. They, they are so focused on doing it perfect that things don't get done. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to that last idea of getting it done, um, but not so well in order to pursue a higher cause, or getting it done not so well in order to pursue a lower cause of self-indulgency. This is how you know whether it makes sense that it is good enough. What the perfectionist does is they always do it perfectly no matter what the cost is. And that is a very, very bad idea because it is absolutely missing the big picture. And if we miss the big picture, we have a lot of problems in life. And one of the things that happens is the person who pursues things with perfectionism, um, but misses the big picture, it becomes oftentimes quite self-righteous. They, they, in their self-righteousness, they say, well, this is not important. You may not find this important, but I find it important because whatever I do, I do perfectly. And you're like, okay, yes, I understand that. But what you're doing is you're trying to crack the egg perfectly so that it looks very nice and you have a perfectly even crack. But you know what? The guests are going to come and go and be gone by the time you ever actually bake the cake. I'd like to crack the egg a little unevenly and have a beautiful cake sitting at the table. So that's the difference between the perfectionist and the person who actually has the prudential judgment as to what to pursue. Dave, real quick, uh, Daniel is joining us from New Mexico this morning. Uh, Daniel, if you can make it quick, we're running out of time. Hey, Dave, this is Dan. Uh, I just wanted to let you know uh, I'm so excited about your launch. I love Leading Giants. I've been following you on LinkedIn and YouTube and sharing you with everybody in my network because it is it is truly needed. It's great to have somebody of your caliber uh, putting out the content that you do from a Catholic perspective. So thank you. Well, Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. What a, what a, what a pleasant way to wrap up the morning. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks so much, uh, Dan. And Dave, uh, we are out of time, uh, but uh, I really appreciate, uh, as always, uh, you being with us. Thanks so much. Many blessings. And, of course, you can listen to the Dave Duran Show Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Nice Guys Finish First by Joseph Mazzella. Nice guys finish last. I've heard that phrase literally hundreds of times over the years, even a few times when I believed it myself. But if I ever need a reminder of just how false that line is, then I only need to remember what happened to me recently. It was a cold, overcast, gray and drizzly day. I had just finished taking my son to the sheltered workshop where he works a few days a week. Road work, though, had delayed me both ways and now I was running about 20 minutes late. I still had a full day's worth of work to do and was feeling a little stressed. I had to pick up a few things first at the local store before heading home. As I was checking out, 
A couple asked me if I could give them a ride going back the way I'd already come. My stressed brain wanted to say no, but thankfully the better angels of my heart said yes. They climbed in my car, and I headed back down the road. During the trip, we talked and laughed, and after I dropped them off, they thanked me for what I had done. I turned the car around and headed back home. I felt a warmth in my heart and a peace in my soul. I glanced in the rearview mirror and saw I was smiling without knowing it. And for the first time that day, the sun broke through the clouds, and the heavens seemed to smile down on me as well. I may have been more behind schedule than ever, but at that moment I felt I was right where I was meant to be. When it comes to money, power, and fame in this world, it might be true that sometimes nice guys do finish last. But when it comes to the heart and mind of God, nice guys finish first. When you share love, when you help people, when you're kind and caring, when you freely give others your joy, then you're doing God's will here on earth. And when you do God's will here on earth, you'll always finish first, both in your own soul and in the eyes of heaven. From Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Join Father Rocky and Bishop Frank DeWayne tonight at 7 p.m. Central for a special broadcast of the Family Rosary Across America on the road, live at Ave Maria University, our proud sponsor. You can video stream on the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash rosary. And that'll do it for this Wednesday, February 28, 2024 edition of Morning Air for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is next.